Take your Bibles now, 2 Peter chapter 1 is where we're going to be today. Uh, yesterday I was in Coos Bay and I was teaching at a men's conference down there at Riverview Christian Fellowship and Bandon Christian Fellowship joined us and a bunch of other things. And Man, it was such a powerful time being down there, stepping on that stage with 130 guys that were hungry for the things of the Lord and it was so powerful and I actually took them through 2 Peter chapter 1 verses 1 through 11. I took them through the same things we've been learning, knowing that Peter is kind of that man's man and he has that message for the men. Peter's at the end of his days, and he's about to die, and so Peter's looking at the congregation. He's arrested in Rome, about to die. He would be crucified upside down three months after Caesar Nero would set Rome on fire, and the persecution would intensify, and Peter sees it. Now, you guys know, by the way, Jesus had previously told Peter in John 22, Pete, you're going to die. I say John 22, John 21. Peter, you're going to die. They're going to kill you by stretching your arms out and leading you places you don't want to go. You remember Peter's response when Jesus told him that? Well, how are they going to kill John? (laughs) You remember? Peter's so funny. What about John? We're going to kill him too, you know? And Jesus is so, he's just so funny. He looks at John, he's like, what about John? What about John? And then Jesus makes something up. He says something completely sarcastic. He says, what if John stays alive until I return? <laughs> What's it to you? Read it. What's it to you? And he keeps talking. He says, you follow me. And John's over there just smiling like, you're in trouble, Peter. <laughs> now, John would go on in John 21 to say, a rumor began at that point that John would be alive until the return of Jesus. And John clarifies and says, that's not what he said, though. He said, what if he was around until I return? But he didn't say he would be around. Now, here's the cool thing. Jesus was being sarcastic and making a point, which I kind of like that. I don't know if you do. I do. But John actually did see Jesus in his glory in the end before he died in the book of the Revelation. The revelation was given, and John was able to see the end of all things. Jesus is so cool. Even when he's sarcastic, he's telling the truth. It's so cool. Peter knew he had a death sentence. He knew he was going to die, and it's what motivated him. Interesting, he knew how he would die, crucifixion. He knew which manner, the Bible says, he would glorify God in his death. Isn't that a radical concept? I'm going to die. That sounds horrible. The Lord says, no, no, it's how you're going to glorify me. Oh, well, I'm going to have to chew on that for a bit. Because that's not how I look at death. But instead, he said, okay, okay. Did you know you can't have glory without suffering? We want to. We try. Right now, if you're suffering here, if there's things that have been given to your life that are difficult and hard to process... Know that it's because the Lord sees the glory that will be yours in the end, that you will share with him. Your suffering is not in vain. Your suffering has not gone to the wayside. Peter knew he had a death sentence. Interesting what that did to him. He knew he was going to die by crucifixion. So there's this one story where he gets arrested in Jerusalem, put in jail. The day before James had had his head cut off or his body sawn in half the long way, we're not sure. Herod Agrippa ordered that death sentence. And the very next day, Peter was set to die himself. 
But Peter did the math. He said, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Time, 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 stop, 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 stop. John, James was cut in half. Herod Agrippa's going to do the same thing to me. Jesus said, when I'm old, I'm going to die. I'm not old yet. Jesus said, when I die, I'm going to die by crucifixion. This is, I'm not, no Jew's going to crucify me. That's a Roman thing. So I'm sentenced to die tomorrow. There's guards by the number of 16 outside my door. Doesn't look good for me. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to take a nap. And he goes to bed. He commits it to the Lord. He's the only person in Jerusalem sleeping that night. The whole church commits themselves to continued prayer. And you guys know the story. He's delivered. He's rescued miraculously. He knew his time wasn't then. He did have a death date prescribed. So do you, by the way. But he knew that that wasn't it. Let me just make the application for you guys. Your death date okay, has been prescribed, determined. Your last breath has been chosen by God before you took your first that's great news. That means you are immortal until you have accomplished what God has put you here on earth to do. There's nothing, there's nothing that can stop you. See, I, I say all that in whatever month it is, 2021. There are a lot of people that are afraid of dying. And I'm not even gonna say that, that, that I'm not one of them, okay? I'm not gonna condemn anybody. And when we found out in 2020 that we might all die, it was as if we were surprised. Remember that? <laughs> we might all die. Ah! As if we didn't know. Like, when did this happen? Uh, and we panicked. And what did we do? We shut everything down. Stay home. Stay safe. We, we dis disengaged. We hid. We bought all the toilet paper in the world. <laughs> I mean, just... <laughs> just Toilet paper and ammunition. Good luck, you know. <laughs> I'm ready for anything. <laughs> Kinda. And I, if, if I offend you in those, those callous statements, I apologize for the offense. The point is, Peter knew he was going to die. And so he lived until that day. You understand? He lived until that day. Paul also knew he was going to die. Agabus, the prophet, there at Philip's house, was praying with Paul, and he looked at Paul, kind of funny, and he's a prophet, and so he grabbed Paul's belt off his body, just ripped it right off. Agabus walks over by the fireplace, and he ties himself up with it. And he said, whoever owns this belt's going to get tied up and dealt harshly with. And everybody's looking at Agabus going, Agabus, we saw you take it from Paul. Quit being a weirdo, you know. Quit being such a prophet. Like, say it plainly. What he was saying was this, Paul, you're going to die. In Jerusalem, you're going to be arrested. You're going to be sentenced. You're going to be sent to Rome. It's over. It would take a couple years, but that's exactly what would happen. What did Paul say? Quit crying about it. I'm not only ready to lay my life down in Jerusalem, but I'm ready to die for my Savior, Jesus Christ. And they backed off. All right. All right, Paul. And Paul sets that standard. Peter sets that standard. Jesus Christ sets that standard. Who, when he came down to die, not to get ammunition and 
toilet paper. <laughs> but instead to pave away so we would all die well. That's what he came to do. I'm going to say something super offensive. I said it to the guys yesterday, and I just feel like defending you guys as well. <laughs> Matthew 16, Jesus asked his disciples, who do men say that I am? And they gave him the answers. He said, well, who do you say I am? And Peter said, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus said, well spoken. Flesh and blood has not revealed this to you. You didn't learn this at the local coffee house. My father revealed this to you. And on this rock, I'll build my church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail. And here are the keys to the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth or loose in heaven will be bound and loose. And surely he goes on to speak declarations of the church to Peter. Check this out. Very next verse. And from that time, Jesus began to speak of his betrayal, his mistreatments, his beatings from the elders, the chief priests, the Pharisees, and his death. Now, how many of you guys there at the conception of the church want to hear a message about the founder's murder, like the next words? I'm going to build a church, then what? Die. So what did Peter do? Peter shimmied up alongside him. He's like, hey, Jesus, And Peter says, hey, that's a bad idea. I'm for real, it's a bad idea. Like, I got some good ideas. These other guys, they got bad ideas too, but I can take this thing. I don't think you should die. It's just a bad idea. And Jesus said, you're not mindful of the things of heaven, but the things of man. And he gave him a new nickname that day. Remember his nickname? He just changed his name from Simon to Peter. And in that moment, he called him Starts with S, rhymes with Aiton. You can say it, we're in church. Satan. Get behind me, Satan. You're not mindful of the things of God, but the things of man. Oh, man. Wow. Whoops. And here's what I said yesterday that was, was offensive. Peter, in an effort to preserve life on earth, stopped God's plan. Peter, in an effort to hold on to things, was thinking satanically. That sounds offensive, doesn't it? Because I don't want to be satanic. Get behind me, Satan. You're not mindful of the things of God, but the things of man. And here's the problem. Yesterday's conference at the men's gathering was titled, Do Hard Things. So I was kind of like, oh, cool, I get to yell at these guys the whole time. It's going to be awesome. <laughs> Do hard things. And what, what birthed that thought was that Jesus bursts the church and immediately talks about doing hard things. All right, the church is here. What am I going to do? Well, I'm going to be betrayed by the chief priests and the elders and the Pharisees, and I'm going to die. I'm going to do hard things. And if you haven't experienced this yet, and I know you have, life is full of hard things, difficult things, out of your control things, things that you in your mind, you reject and say, this is not good. And the Lord says, I know. This is why you have to have the mind of Christ and the mind of heaven. See, we're not supposed to establish our kingdom here on earth. We're supposed to work for the kingdom of heaven that will be forever. As a matter of fact, during worship yesterday at the very first session, I was thinking about that one portion of scripture where Jesus says, what profited a man? If he gained the whole world, and he loses his own soul. And I was singing, I was like, Lord, where is that verse? And I'd like to share that verse with these guys. I don't know where it's at, though. 
And my Bible was open to Matthew 16. And I kept reading. And it's in Matthew 16. It's right, it's in the same, it's up in Caesarea Philippi where Jesus was when he said, who do men say that I am? And he birthed the church. It's right in that same context. He's talking to the pioneers of the church. He just, the word ecclesia means church. It's the first time we see it in the scriptures given to mankind in Matthew 16. And right then Jesus warns and says, what profit a man? If he gains everything, loses his own soul. Jesus went on in that same portion, that same context to say, take up your cross daily, deny yourself and follow me. Now here's the good news. I just love, we're, we're in Second Peter, by the way. We haven't even got there yet. Shoot. What? 10.07. Is that clock broken? Anyways. Peter, Peter wasn't jiving with that message. The, the children of Israel weren't jiving with that message there at, at the day of ascension. All right, cool. Let's do stuff here now. It's all about here now. It's all about here. Restoration of the glory of Israel. No. No but you shall be my witnesses. You know what the word witness in the Greek is our English word? Martyr. You shall be my witnesses. Sounds cool to be a witness, right? Marteo in the Greek. You shall be my martyrs. Well, that puts a different spin on things. You mean we might, we might die, Jesus? Mm, yeah. All of us? Yep. You're gonna die one way or the other, right? Like, it's the, it's the final victory. Oh, yeah. Deliverance. Whether it be by a lion that chews off your leg and then your arm and then other parts. Or the flames of fire that would creep up the stake that you'd be burned at. Or like John at a ripe old age of 100. And it's this motivating factor we're going to die. So we take communion and look at Jesus' death. We look back in order that we might look forward. Look at verse 12. For this reason. Some of your Bibles say, therefore. For this reason, or therefore, I will not be negligent to remind you always of these things, though you know and are established in the present truth. Therefore, or for these reasons, what reasons? For everything we've learned up until verse 11. Because of the righteousness we have through Jesus. Because of the faith we have. Because of the things that we've added to that faith. Virtue and knowledge, self-control, perseverance, godliness, brotherly kindness, and love. Because of these things. Because if we do these things, we're never going to stumble, he says in verse 10. Because of these things in verse 11, we're going to be given an exceeding entrance into heaven. Because it's all going to work out. Therefore, he says in verse 12, where we just began, because of this, I'm not going to be negligent to remind you of these things, even though you already know them. Have you ever been oddly warmed and encouraged at a truth you're already very familiar with? Anybody here? You guys here? Was that a long question? Let me ask you differently. Have you ever been reminded of something you already knew and yet it changed your entire day? Oh, it's, 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 are you guys with me? Peter says, you already know this stuff, but I'm going to tell you the same stuff. Paul would say the same thing. I, I think it's right to remind you the same stuff I've already talked about. As a pastor, as a teacher, I sometimes get a complex of repetition. Like, oh, man, I've told that story before. Have, I ever, have you guys ever heard me tell a story more than once? <laughs> Adam Durkin, both hands up. Yes, yes. Yes, I have. And I don't even remember, you know. 
I remember. I tell the stories over and over. Because it's not how much you know that matters. It's how well you know what you know that matters. It's how well you know it. Rhyme, rhythm, repetition, the masters of all learning tools. Rhyme, rhythm, and repetition, the masters of all learning tools. That you might know it well. Therefore, because of these things, I don't, I'm verse 12 again, it will not, I, I will not be negligent to remind you always of these things. Martin Luther, when writing about the gospel, he said the gospel is the chief article of all Christian doctrine. Most important is it that we know this doctrine well, teach it to others, and continually beat it into their heads. Martin Luther, the great reformer, 1500s. The gospel, most important that we know it well, teach it to others, and constantly beat it into their heads. Because we forget. We forget. I don't know. I, I, mean, I can't speak for you, but I, I kind of can because I know human nature. But when I come across something I'm already well familiar with and already know, but for some reason haven't been handling with that precious acceptance, this is why we have men's groups, women's groups, walk-in talks, why we have Bible studies, why we celebrate, why we do the five-by-five so you can keep reading this book to be reminded over and over and over and over again. Did you know if you took any other book besides this one? and just popped it open to a page and read a couple paragraphs and did that. Let's just take the Lord of the Rings, for example. Let's just say for the next 40 years, you just popped it open and read a couple paragraphs out of whatever chapter you wanted and just see if that reminds you of anything noteworthy or life-changing. See if that warms you and encourages you and transforms your mind and restores your soul and changes your trajectory and gives you hope and glory. It, it, It won't do it. Great book, great book. This book's alive. These truths... Like manna, every single day you need to be reminded, you need to be filled. God's given to us principles in his creation that help us to understand the principles in his world. You ever been hungry before? Thank you. Jerry's here, all y'all. Get with the program. You been hungry before? I'm hungry. I'm hungry. And then you get hangry and then you get weird. And then all of a sudden you remind your stomach what food is like. Ah, I'll feel better. So too. We need to be reminded. I will not be negligent to remind you of these things. It's almost like a double negative. I will not be negligent. Let me say it and put this on y'all. It's as if Peter's saying, if I don't remind you, I'm being negligent. I'm being reckless. If I don't remind you. Jesus actually looked at Peter. He said, hey, when you're restored, strengthen the brethren. That's your job. Don't ever stop. Peter's taking this seriously. If I, guys, if I don't write this letter to you right before I die, I did not do my job well. Reminds me of Ezekiel chapter 33, the watchman on the wall. And the watchman is given a job. Two things, actually. Watch and let people know. Watch and warn. And the objective is there. If you watch and don't warn, eh, blood's on your head. If you watch and warn and people don't respond, blood's on their head. It's not that hard. And let me encourage you, moms, dads, grandmas, grandpas, pastors, teachers, and leaders, Do not be negligent to remind people of the things they already know. That goes both ways, by the way. You see me looking hungry spiritually. You see me failing. You see me struggling. You see me got something in in your purview that you say, I don't know, I'm kind of concerned about Luke. You better come remind me of the things I'm already aware of. I'm going to do that for you guys. Wouldn't it be awesome if we just committed to that? 
just reminding each other. He goes on in verse 13 to kind of bolster himself in this. He says, yes, I think it's right as long as I'm in this tent to stir you up by reminding you. He, he said the same thing twice. It's almost like he's getting a little pushback. Peter, you always talk about the same stuff, Peter. Every time I see you, Peter, you talk about Jesus, 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 you know. He says, yes, yeah, the right thing to do. While I'm in this tent. I like how he calls his body a tent instead of a palace. You know what I'm saying? Some of us treat our tents like a palace. And, oh, those are nice. You know? <laughs> Welcome to my palace. <laughs> Putting fresh paint on every day. And Peter said, no, it's, it's, it's a tent. It's really, it's really a tool that God gives to us for a season. If, if you look at it this way, it's a tool, a vehicle to advance the gospel of Jesus Christ. You're alive? Oh, cool. You got a tent? Right on. Good job. What are you doing with it? While I'm in this tent, I'm going to stir you up. You ever sat by a fire before that has burned down? And there's still some fuel there, but it's just not burning right, and you, and you just stir it up, and all of a sudden the flames increase. Have you done this before? You might even add some fuel to it, but you stir it up. Peter is saying, what I'm going to do is I'm going to stir you up while I'm here. Every single time I see you, I'm going to stir you up. Can I just encourage you? Be like Peter. Stir people up. Stir me up. Use Facebook. Use Instagram. Use TikTok. Use your platform. Use your work. Use your house. Use your bumper stickers. Use your T-shirt. Use your life. Use your love. Do these things. I love studying the book of Acts and watching Peter's life right around chapters 9 and 10. In chapters 9 and 10, he is the most important person on the planet, Peter. He's the closest to Jesus. He spent the most time with Jesus. He had the most gifts from Jesus. And you know what he's doing? Out stirring people up. I could imagine him being posted up in Jerusalem, hanging out, you know, conference calls, you know, big desk, mahogany wood. What's he doing? He's, he's, he's in the towns. He's healing Aeneas, this lame guy. He's praying for Tabitha, this dead girl. He's lodging with Simon a tanner. He's going to Cornelius's house, a Gentile. Why? Stirring people up. Be on mission. Be on mission. Do you remember when you were younger as a Christian, how stirred up you were? Just fired up, running around. One of the best ways to get stirred up, by the way, is to hang around younger Christians. Okay? You old Mossback Christians. <laughs> I mean, you know, I'm, I'm one of them. Get around some young Christians, and they got questions, they're fired up, they're convicted, they're excited, and you're like, whoa, settle down, youngster. <laughs> Don't take it that serious. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not messing around. The generational importance of the gospel of Jesus Christ, of the older people pouring into the younger people and giving them some, giving them some latitude to, to make mistakes and to learn and grow, and learning from them, Fired up. What did Paul say to Timothy? Don't let anybody despise your youth. You be an example in word and in deed to everybody. Get stirred up. I remember one time, by the way. Look at verse 14. We've got to keep going. Is there an 11 a.m. service today? Do we still do that? They're coming in? Okay, okay. Knowing that shortly I must put off my tent just as our Lord Jesus Christ showed me. 
He knows he's going to die. He knows that his time is numbered. Moreover, I will be careful to ensure that you always have a reminder of these things after my disease. Stop right there. I want you guys to see three crucial points in the next 10 minutes. I'm going to unpack them for you. We're going to finish this chapter today. I'm just going to do it. We'll probably circle back next week and do it again, but I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. He says, moreover, I will ensure that you have a remembrance of these things after my decease. In other words, I'm going to make sure I write the Bible before I go. I'm going to make sure you have 1 Peter, 2 Peter. I'm going to make sure that I orate the story of Jesus to John Mark as he writes the gospel of Mark. Peter and Mark wrote Mark together. I'm going to make sure you have the word of God. Listen, because I'm peacing out. And if you're a note taker, just write this down. Men die, but the word of God lives on. That's great news if you're, if you're going to die. I don't know if you are or not. I mean, I kind of do, but you might not. You might be confused still. I got toilet paper, Luke. I ain't dying. I ain't dying. You're dying. <laughs> Peter says, I'm going to die. So what I'm going to make sure is that you guys have the word of God. This Father's Day. Okay, men, which legacy? Are you ensuring that your family has when you die? Do they know the Lord? Are they a church family? Do they know the principles of God? Moms and wives, grandmas and grandpas, everybody. We do our best to live a life to to impact the people and, and maybe leave something behind. It's called an inheritance, okay? A spiritual inheritance is what Peter says. This is my biggest deal. I'm gonna die what you need is the word of God. I'm going to stir you up in this way. Stir people up. I remember one time I was in Ashland at Geppetto's with some friends. It was 1999. And I was on that precipice of coming out of the world. I'd gotten out of jail in 1998. And I was still kind of struggling. You ever struggled before in your Christianity? Like a little baby deer. You're like, I'm trying to run, but I'm falling down. And I remember I went to dinner at Geppetto's with some friends. They were Christians. I didn't know any of these Christians except one. And this guy named Mark Winningham was there. And he looked at me. And with prophetical power, came close to me and said, you know what you need to do? You just need to keep reading the word. And I looked at him, I was like, bro, I ain't even reading it yet. (laughs) I didn't say that, but in my mind, I was like, wow. I couldn't remember his name, Mark Winningham. I I texted a friend of mine this morning, I was like, hey, what was that guy's name? I said, Mark Winningham. I said, oh, I wrote it in my Bible. I'm thankful for that man in that moment when I was not in my right mind, 1999, doing my best, not too good. And yet with truth and power, he said, keep reading the word. Here's Peter. I'm out of here, guys. I'm going to make sure you have a copy to keep growing. Because men die, but the word of God lives on. Verse 16. For we did not follow cunningly devised fables when we made known to you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Stop right there, eyes up here. Peter, in writing this, says, guys, I'm going to make sure you know the stories and make sure you know the scriptures. I'm going to give it to you because it's made up. Verse 16. This isn't a fable. Did you know in those days, fables were flying around like crazy? 
myths and mythology and just everyone's making stuff up. Where'd the world come from? I think it came from Zeus. Well, I think it came from Atlas. Well, I think it came from an elephant. Everyone had these crazy ideas. And here comes Jesus Christ on the scene. He says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God, and nothing was made through the word that wasn't made by God himself. He makes, he, he takes the claim. This is all happened. And Jesus came. And Peter says, I'm going to clarify all this craziness, all this confusion, all these diversities of solutions and, and agendas and opinions. We are not following cunningly devised fables when we declared to you the power of Jesus Christ that we saw. Now, I just need you guys to understand something. You, you're all here. You're at the 9 a.m. service. Hopefully, you don't think I'm mad at you. You're yelling at you. I'm excited. Peter here's fired up. He says, guys, I, if you're going to listen to anybody, please listen to me. I was there, eyewitness, a lot of other testimonies, a lot of other opinions, and I think it came from this, and I think it came from that. Who cares what you think? Peter says, I was there. I'm not making this up. And then he goes on in verse 17, and he tells the story of the mountain of transfiguration. I just want you guys to hold that in your hands. It happens in Matthew 17. Here it's in verse 17. The mountain of transfiguration. It's recorded in three different gospels. When the mountain of transfiguration story happened there, Jesus specifically told those three disciples, Peter, James, and John, that experienced it. You know what he told them? Don't tell anybody until after I'm gone. Now, can you imagine that? Like, you come down the mountain. How was the mountain? Oh, I can't talk about it. <laughs> ah! Ah! I mean, do you remember the Mountain of Transfiguration? They're hanging out there, and Jesus is transformed. He takes his veil off, and he becomes God-man. And they're seeing him, and Elijah shows up. And Moses shows up, the prophet and the law, and they both start talking about his death that's coming. All these, and all of a sudden, the father says, this is my son, listen to him. And this whole thing's happening, and it's as if this is happening, and heaven is on earth, and Peter, James, and John are watching, and, and Peter starts to say stupid stuff. Remember the Bible says, Peter, not knowing what to say, said, <laughs> and he starts saying stupid stuff. I just imagine Jesus talking with Mo and Elijah, and they're talking, the father's there, and all of a sudden Peter starts talking like, what? Peter's over like, oh, this is sick. <laughs> Peter, you bum. And the father says, Pete, shut up. Listen to my son. And, and then Jesus instructs him, don't tell anybody what just happened. I mean, what is that about? And then remember, the, the story is so great. They come down the mountain in Matthew 17, and they're just like, oh, my gosh, 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 oh, my gosh. And they come down, and the rest of the disciples are there trying to heal the, the boy that's got a demon, and they can't do it. And Jesus just comes in with power, just casts that demon out. And these guys are like, this is crazy. Well, hey, years later, years later, they would tell the story. Can you imagine when James, Peter, and John would pull the other disciples and say, guys, remember we went to the mountain? Now we can tell you what happened. Jesus was transfigured. We saw his glory. We saw it. We, we, we know what it's going to be like. We saw, we saw Moses and Elijah, and they were both talking about the importance of his death. That's what the, the conversation piece was his death. It was his death because the law and the prophets, they cannot accomplish what only Christ can accomplish in his death. And what Peter is writing here on, in the text to us is, guys, it's so important. I'm going to die, but the word of God is going to go on forever. And I want you guys to be into the word because we see and know that it's true. We were there. We experienced it. We're not making this up. Verse 17 says, for he received from God the Father honor and glory when such an excellent voice 
came down and said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And we heard this voice which came from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. Now, just stop right there, eyes up here. I just got to put this out there for your thought process. If you were going to write an epistle and say, guys, Jesus is real, how do you know? Well, let me tell you about this one story. And he picks the Mount of Transfiguration. I don't know what story would you pick. You guys know the stories, right? Wouldn't you, if you were Peter, pick the story where you walked on water? I'm just being honest. I mean, the story he picked was one that he, like, made some mistakes and said some stupid stuff. He got rebuked heavily. The story he chose. I would have chosen a story where Jesus fed thousands, where Jesus healed demoniacs, where Jesus raised people from the dead. I would have picked so many other stories that Jesus, water into wine, there's so many. I believe it's important that he chose this story because it showed the preeminence of Christ, that he is indeed the son of God. People wonder, is he, is he really God? Is he really God? Is he really God? He just told us he's really God. Is his death really that important? That's all that they were talking about, his death. His resurrection. All of it points back to Jesus Christ, and I say all that to say this. Look at the next verse. It says, and, and so we have the prophetic word confirmed, which you do well to heed, as a light that shines in dark places until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your heart. Stop right there, eyes up here. Some of your translations read that differently. Some of your translations read it this way. I'll read it to you. It says, we also have the more sure prophetic word, which seeks to shine as a light in the dark. I want you guys to get this concept. Peter's checking out. He's going to die. So the first thing he says is, I'm going to ensure that you guys have a copy of the scriptures. I'm going to make sure you have a legacy of the word because men die, but the word of God lives forever. The second thing I want you guys to understand is we did see Jesus transfigured. It was a miracle, but something else. Listen, listen, so for Bible students especially. We have, though, even though that transfiguration story happened, we have the more sure word of prophecy. What? Listen. What Peter is saying is as important and powerful as that miracle and experience was. You know what's more important and powerful? The sure word of prophecy. This book. This book and what you have in your hands is more powerful and prolific than what Peter experienced on the Mount of Transfiguration. Now, how many guys in your intellectual mind say, well, I don't know, bro. Let me ask you a different question. If you could have one or the other, this book, the power of God's word, the prophecies, the living word of God. If you could have this book or an amazing, miraculous experience that was a bona fide miracle from God happen in your life, which one would you choose? Would you rather be, what Peter is saying is, I was on the mountain. It was great. It really happened. It's for real. I'm not even messing around. It's not a fable. It's not a company device. It was real. However... Even more powerful than that is this book. I want you to wrestle with that. There are certain sects of Christianity that are really into signs and wonders, miracles and experiences. And they base their faith solely on signs and wonders and miracles and experiences. And when they feel the goosebumps and they see the things and they experience the power, ho, ho, woo, and that's what they're looking for. And if they don't get that, yeah, church was all right. It's all right. I didn't get no goosebumps. There's no goosebumps. It's too hot. It's muggy. 
lot of preaching, a lot of the word, just a lot of Bible. Did you know that in the book of Revelation, we are told that the Antichrist will take over the world through signs and wonders, miracles and experiences? I'm just putting that out there. There are people that look for that all alone to substantiate their faith. And as I mentioned, men die, but the word of God lives on. Write this down, experiences fade, but the word remains. I've been doing this for a while. I've, I've had miracles. I've seen signs. I've experienced wonders. I've watched healings. I've experienced them myself. I've walked in the supernatural, powerful things of God. Those experiences, they fade. But the word of God endures. And if you're still tracking with me, still listening, please just wrestle with this. Because some people right now are saying, if the Lord would just do a miracle, I'd go harder in the paint. I'd believe. I'd repent of this sin. I'd get involved. I'd start doing stuff if I could just see some miracles. <laughs> the most miraculously saturated group of people in the world went through the wilderness following God, watching miracles, and were not allowed to go into the promised land for what sin? What sin? Unbelief. Unbelief. Miracle after miracle after miracle. I don't believe. What? Isn't that crazy? I say that to challenge you and to encourage you. Here's Pete. He's saying, you know what? We have the more sure word. This is why I want you guys to keep reading the scriptures. Keep feeding yourself with the power of the, God, the word of God in your life. The Bible says that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. You want more faith? You want to be stronger? You want to run your race? It comes through this book. Not experiences, not miracles, not signs, not wonders. Although I believe in all those things, okay? but it comes from a steady diet in God's word, the prophecies. Final thought, verse 19 again, it's, and so we have the more sure word, confirmed. What you do well to heed is a light that shines in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, knowing this first, that no prophecy of scripture is of any private interpretation for prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. What he's saying here and we'll now go into chapter two, talking about false teachers and heretics that take portions of the scripture, portions of truth, portions of the story, and then isolate them and separate them and then elongate them and it becomes heretical. He says, you can't do that. There's no private interpretation. There's no, you can't be separating the scriptures. It's one whole package. We'll talk about that next week. But what he says about the word of God, three things. Number one, men die, the word lives on. Number two, experiences will fade, but the word endures. And number three, the world will get darker, but the word of God will get brighter. I'm so thankful to be a, a part of a word-based church. This is what we are. I don't know if you know what's going on here. We teach the word. We teach the word and we let the word inspect us as we inspect the word. We let the word edit us instead of trying and seeking to edit it. God doesn't need editors. He needs messengers. The word of God is sure. It's purified seven times over. It restores your soul. It will do for you what no other thing can do. It will lead you. It will guide you. It will convict you. It will conflict you. It will change you. It will equip you. It will comfort you. And here's Peter. Peter, about to die, says, you know what you need? The word. Stay in the word. Why? Because if you know the word, then you'll know the heretics. You'll know the false teachers. You'll know what's going on. In chapter two, we're going to see all that. 
It's really so simple. It's really so simple. Would you bow your heads and pray with me? Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you for your word, which you have preserved, which you have proven, which has changed countless scores, thousands, millions, and billions of lives. There is no other book like it. Jesus, you said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Father. Nevertheless, at thy word. And Lord, we just love you. And on this Father's Day, we thank you for loving us first, for being our Father, for loving us unconditionally, for letting us have, Lord, that latitude to grow and to learn and to explore and to receive, Lord, that grace and mercy from you. Would you bless the rest of our afternoon, Lord, as these guys take some donuts home and maybe leave a few for the 11 a.m. service, but that's not our problem. Just bless us, Lord. We thank you for all you've done, all you're doing, Lord. Do more, we pray. Bless the ladies' walk on Wednesday, Lord, and the youth events and the men's group tomorrow. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said? Amen. Amen.